Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike One, alongside co-host also, Mike. We have our first award show of the year officially happen in the rear view as we record this tonight. Uh, November 29th, the 28th is when the Gotham Awards finally happen to officially kick off the road to the Oscars, Michael. Yeah, so a lot of the usual stuff happened where I think you immediately wanted to pour cold water on the whole season. You are just... You were very angry at the beginning of yeah. this show. And and yeah. to be fair, the first hour of the Gotham Awards was awful, right? It was a Terrence Malick film, yeah. But then... It, but once you get in those last two hours... Dude, the last two hours were wonderful. Like, you and I just were texting the whole show. Like, I hope yes. nobody ever... Like, if you really want to... Uh, if you really want to see us at, at our... <laughs> At our realist. Our less composed. Yeah. <laughs> our less manufactured. That text message chain is the real thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we should publish it at some point. But good God, man. We were texting each other the whole show. And I'm, I'm scrolling through them this morning. And a lot of them are negative in the first hour. And then we're like, oh, my God, that's the best thing i ever seen. Or, you know, we got some banter written in here that we're just kind of going back and forth on the Google Doc. Because we turned it into the Google Doc. This is how I know you're, you're really you really care about me because you stopped texting me like midway through the show and you started Google documenting me. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciated that. I want you to know I was touched. And then oh, we I'm were, glad. we were joyous about this last 90 minutes. Great. Was, great job. Gotham's I, I, you're overselling it a bit. I think, I think, but it was the best was awards acceptance speech yeah. in the history of awards. Acceptance. There speeches. is that. There is some of that here. There's no, like no no lying. There are some great speeches, but this was one of the most bizarre award shows mm-hmm. I've ever watched because nobody in the room was paying attention at any point. Mm-hmm. There were just and the mics were picking it all up. There was just a wall of sound coming through. This it was on YouTube. This wasn't on cable or anything, so maybe that had something to do with it. But like you could just hear the background noise and the people actively ignoring whoever was at the stand at the microphone. And like I said to you, there was like moments of brilliance throughout this show right. that were like, why aren't the Oscars doing this? This is how an award show should be done. But they were scattered amongst these moments of just weirdness and just stuff that's like this. Oh, this seems like it was kind of slapped together at the last second format wise content wise. It was a lot more positive. Like you're saying to be happy with than not. There's always a, an element of the Gotham's being like the rehearsal, the, like the last dress rehearsal for award yeah, season. Right. And there's also like the launch of award season. The Gotham mm-hmm. Awards does both somehow. And it was it was wild to watch this thing, Mike, where we're on YouTube, 700 people are watching. Mm-hmm. Nobody's watching. Nobody. But they have all of the stars there. They have yes. production values that are hit and miss, but they're trying, right? And some of the best video packages you'll see in award season. My God, were the montages yeah. tip top. I wonder if the studios just did them for the Gotham's, but I don't want to give credit to the studios when maybe it's just some dude or, or some some girl Busting their ass behind break, the scene. Yeah. yeah, cutting one brilliant mm-hmm. montage after another and choosing, in my opinion, so many more of the correct clips, the yeah, teasers, the real teasers. Like I want, I came away not not having seen a lot of the TV, wanting to watch all the TV after last night, and all the movies I haven't seen. I was mostly intrigued by what they showed me. Yeah, there was definitely they definitely picked some choice clips. There's no doubt there were some movies that I, I didn't even know and I hadn't heard of that I was like, oh, I need to check that out now because of that. So yeah, I mean there was a lot of positive. I would say probably a lot more positive than there were negatives to take away from the Gotham's. But as always, let's put the pro- disclaimer out there. I mean there were shocks and upsets, and yes, these awards mean a lot. They also mean a lot of nothing when it comes to the <laughs> Oscars road. So it's going to be our job to kind of parse through and segment what means what and what to look out for and what these Gotham's actually mean. I think there's uh, some significance in some of these upsets. I think there is some missed opportunities in one of the upsets. I mean, Daniel Deadweiler not showing up to me is like, oh, man, that could have been a huge moment. Could have been, should have been. Unfortunately, maybe she's, you know, on set somewhere. But Mm -hmm. uh, we, we, we we got a lot of 
great speeches, a lot of speeches that I think could reverberate throughout the season. I just wonder, I think my thesis statement on all of this is, are, is the Academy going to watch the Gothams at some point? Are they going to watch clips? Were they, were, were they, well, you know, the, the people watching was less than the Academy in total. So that's right. a bit of a red flag. But look at it. We've had, <laughs> like, YouTube this morning. I'm looking at, they clipped it on the Gotham YouTube, Gotham Film and Media Institute YouTube mm-hmm. channel. And some of these videos are not doing well, but a couple of them are. Like the Adam Sandler speech, 2.2 thousand views already. So that's doing fine, you know, considering that they only got 5,000 subscribers. But it's strange because, like, their Twitter's got 124,000 subscribers, and Mm -hmm. yet only 700 people were watching the show on YouTube last night. Now, maybe they're in other places streaming all over the place, and the combined numbers are greater. But I just wonder if that Academy will watch the clips of this at the very least. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see, and there were moments from the night that the Academy certainly could hook onto, and that could be responsible for kicking off momentum, like we kind of said. You know, Troy Kotzer last year was was responsible Absolutely. for it and kicking off a lot of momentum, and we might have have a repeat in that same category this year. We'll talk about it as we get to it. But let's let's start at the top. Let's go through the the quick tallies and set the table for where these uh, where the Gotham Awards started, Mike. Yeah, the only film that won more than one Gotham was everything everywhere all at once. So it was cool to see them spread it out. Yeah. Uh, even though we went into the night with after sun tar four noms a piece, everything everywhere, women talking in the inspection, three noms a piece. You had a couple dual noms like the whale and bones and all, etc. But we didn't see one night go towards the lost daughter. Like we did last year. It was like last year was the Coda night. And then the lost daughter night. And beyond that, not so much. We had, Everything spread out this year for the most part. Everything everywhere winning a couple of the big awards late and kind of reestablishing itself Mm -hmm. in the vetting season that is awards season as something that I hope, if enough people get their hands on this, will, you know, kind of picture and foresee, you know, Kihai Kwan winning the Oscar and delivering a terrific speech like he did there and saying, yeah, I could sign up for that. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Could be absolute, like I said. I mean, that could be the the kickoff like Kotzer did last year, the exact same category, and the kind of an upset beloved pick there that rides the momentum, rides the wave. First award of the night was given to breakthrough performer. The winner was Grazia Filipovic for Marina. Mike, you've seen Marina. What did you think about it? Yeah, just a quickie little review here because I liked it so much. I, I was so impressed. This is B plus all day territory. One of those coming of age dramas that you don't get that often. And I'm I'm really I really want to shout them out when they come because it's it's kind of an every few years type of deal. Great coming of age drama. It's available on Showtime Marina. Uh the essentially the premise is this daughter is watching her parents try to woo an old family friend into buying their uh Croatian beachfront uh property so that Hollywood he can build keeps making the same movies over and over again. So this is Cliff Curtis, who you'll recognize immediately from The Whale. And you basically have all of this baggage between the parents and this old family friend. And you have all these menacing threats of, like, creepy romances coming around every turn for for, oh. for this daughter, whether it's the family friend or whether it's just some kids that are just partying on a yacht nearby. And then there's a lot of father-daughter drama playing out. And it plays out during their daily scuba or spearfishing trip trips at the bottom of the uh of the ocean michael so the like, clip they picked yes. for this during a one point in the night i was I thought this was like a horror movie i love the clip i love the clip choice and i won't tell you where in the movie that is but they hunt moray eels and moray eels translated uh in in the bosnian language is murina so that's the title huh. and you have you have all these scenes interwoven where it's like so much is happening in the subtext based on this father-daughter fishing trip, like daily, you know, whatever, constitutional that they're out there, whether they're scooping or they're fishing. It, I really enjoyed it is the, is the thesis statement here. So watch the movie. You get to be in paradise in Croatia on the beach there. Uh, and I was worried about the creepy romance factor more. That's why it kind of avoided this movie forever because i didn't want to watch that but it's much more of a standard coming of age movie and i give it credit uh for nailing that premise julianne moore was out next presented don katz with a tribute uh don katz the founder of audible (laughs) guess it makes sense he wasn't the greatest at reading his speech 
Look, as someone who's not the greatest at, at reading speeches, <laughs> I, I do empathize with him. However, dude, you run a reading out loud yeah, company. That in and of itself, that in and of itself was like a subliminal <laughs> advertisement for books on tape that you listened to, wasn't it? Like, I, uh, who, who needs, who could possibly read all this? I have loved Audible <laughs> for my whole adult life, and I feel bad that he, this guy, can't put two words together. He was stumbling every other sentence. Yeah. The poor guy, yeah. he was, he was nervous. Obviously, he should have had somebody come up there and read his speech to him. I think that would have been like perfect it would have been funny if he did that if he stumbled once and then said huh i need this yeah that would (laughs) would have been funny anyway missed opportunity we went from there to best screenplay which went to todd field and his comically large hat for tar did we think it was going to be an all tar evening at that point because i was certainly wondering as much i know tar was a big hit with new york film festival audiences and i I figured that last year's The Lost Daughter and Maggie Gyllenhaal given out this award and that this could be Mm -hmm. the signal of the evening. And yet that did not play out at all. And Michael, the man did not acquit himself well. He delivered this ridiculously long speech that I didn't really want to pay attention to or understand. What the hell? Yeah, that was the. There were multiple times during the night that you could say Todd Field gave a ridiculously long speech that you, that kind of got lost in translation. That this would not be the lone time. But yeah, to to your point, I did think this was going to kick off the night of tar. I also my ears did perk up when Maggie Gyllenhaal was presenting the award because she dropped a hard f bomb and like there was I guess you could say whatever you want during the Gotham's, which was kind of cool. People were yes. just swearing left and right, which I actually appreciated. You see these famous people dropping all these curse <laughs> words that you don't get to see often. They're talking about their work. That was kind of cool and authentic. I thought. It was, and I and I enjoyed it throughout the night. They're very good at cursing, this group of New York <laughs> independent film people, and I, I appreciated that as well. Uh, I do want to say that this is fairly significant, this category, in that Women Talking was going against Tar, so Sarah Polly versus Todd Field, round one. I mean, in the combined categories, they're obviously going to split off for Adapted uh, with Women Talking and Original with Tar, but that can matter as we go forward. Yeah, I didn't like Todd Field's speech to get back to uh, one of you. And he, what's ironic because he had clearly time and preparation put into it since he pulled out like a, this small book of a speech from right. his inner jacket pocket when he w- reached the podium to thank people. So, he Which tried. was also a problem throughout the night. There was just, I mean, we'll get to it, but there was a point where these speeches were just lists of names. And you're like, okay. Right. You you want an orchestra to play them off at some yeah. t- points. But all right. Best International Feature went to Happening, which is a fascinating win in the sense that, it, yes, it won Venice two years ago, but it's not eligible this year for Best International Feature at the Oscars. It defeated Athena, another French film that I just watched, also not eligible. The Banshees of Sharon, not eligible in International Feature. And the two that were actually eligible, Corsage and Decision to Leave, uh, oh, excuse me, St. Omer, the three that were actually eligible, I can't speak, did not win. I, I, I'm very surprised by this. Typically, um, typically you might have uh, the, the Oscars projections happening in full force, but no. So we have happening, which I, I tend to agree with. Is it's at least tied for one of my best grades of the films in the category. So I'm pounding the table for that movie, but I'm just surprised because it was a last year movie. Yeah, it, it's it's surprising that, you know, even though Banshees isn't an Oscar international feature eligibility, and but it's there. It's an Oscars player this year, and obviously decision to leave. Everyone thinks has a good shot at winning the international feature category this year, and then you have this movie that's a couple years old coming and toppling them all. And just like, what does that mean? And again, Gotham's could mean everything, could mean nothing. We'll see how well, it plays out going forward. There. Let's be honest about who votes for these things. I think it's a small jury. They're actually listing the juries. Yep. Right, Which I appreciate of, of name well. people. Yeah, it's like five, six people in many cases. Here's your jury. These are they're all big names in in the uh, industry, and here's who picked the winner. So, does it really matter in terms of a, reading a cross section of the academy? Not necessarily, but it does matter in terms of again bringing a movie to the forefront, telling people, hey look at this one going forward or look at this one looking backward. And everybody's saying after this category, like happening is an excellent movie. Let's see it. It matters right now. And it makes you wonder if the friggin' best international feature category is broken and the rules of the category are broken. And France should have more contenders every year. Cause Athena, I just watched Athena, Michael shout out to Athena. It's a pretty damn good movie. 98 minutes on Netflix 
it's going a mile a minute because it's essentially a film about like police versus young people just violence my god it's an intense thing like the the opening scene is an attack a coordinated attack on a police station to steal all the weapons and then it's a police siege for the next like 40 minutes of the film onto this apartment building in the projects of of this french uh city and it's just this wild movie where the spectacle really pays off and then you get this family brothers drama which i didn't love to it so it doesn't entirely stick the landing athena but dude you get a you get a crazy movie on netflix so we're we're drawing attention to these films which is awesome Mm -hmm. but i you know i just i think uh i think the winner could have boosted decision to leave here i think banshees could have gotten a big boost here corsage a made corsage like needed this and it didn't happen yeah uh, as as far as happening for happening's part, Audrey uh, Audrey Dewan, who was the director of Happening, gave the uh, the speech there for the acceptance. I thought it was a great speech, simple speech, touched on abortion rights and, and women's health issues, and well, I thought it was the best of the night. But it would not be the best as we went forward going on here throughout the Gotham's. Uh, next up, Paul Dano presented Michelle Williams for her Performer Tribute Award. Beautiful video package highlighting a lot of Michelle Williams' career and a lot of her scenes. Sorely lacking in Halloween H two O content, though. <laughs> yeah, you uh, you texted me quite a bit on this. I mean, let's you know, let's let's recognize where she started. People, come on. That being said, we both had a moment during the evening where we had to like get away from the TV at some point. I had to feed yeah. my dog. I don't know what you had to do. I didn't ask. I had to do my dogs as well. Take them. Outside, okay, yeah. so exactly. So. She actually delivered an awesome speech that you missed. And she, at one point, she and this is how she opens it up. Quote, it means so much to be here in my hometown because before I wanted to be an actor, I wanted to be a New Yorker. This was a smart delivery. But then she works in the, her young life as a 16-year-old in New York as, a, as an actor. But I never knew this about her. She was like emancipated from her parents, living with her grandmother, hmm. working actor in the, in the city. But... My God, she had a grandmother uh, tribute that was beautiful. I mean, and it was so well written. And she just had a kid like a couple of weeks ago, Michael. And oh, she wow. delivers this that. this delivers this beautiful speech. I'm so impressed with Michelle Williams in that moment. I thought she acquitted herself beautifully uh, in terms of the whole campaigning of it all. She is out there campaigning for the Fablemans, which was our most recent Oscar profile review, which was our last episode. If you want to go check that out, she's certainly in the uh, running there in lead actress, no doubt. Best documentary feature went to All That Breathes, so this remains a shit show of a category. This is a shocker to me, Uh, and I almost watched the movie. I have a screener for it waiting for me. I have to watch All That Breathes. It played at New York Film Festival. I just haven't seen it yet. I watched All the Beauty and the Bloodshed instead, which I figured was going to win this category. I'll be totally honest with you. All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, it felt like a home game for that film, and no, it, it loses, and it might hurt its chances. All the Beauty and the Bloodshed probably needed a little momentum here, Every time we we reprop that up as the front runner in the category, all the beauty and the blood, it, it takes a hit. Maybe we should stop. We should stop. <laughs> is the truth of is the correct answer? Yes. Right. Just, just recognize that category for what it is, and it's a mess, and it's going to be a mess again this year. It looks like Todd Haynes and Julianne Moore presented the Impact Award to Venice Film Festival director Alberto Barbara. Uh, we've said some not so great things about Venice and our Alberto Barbara in the past. You can go back in our history and our annals. I think they were well deserved at the time. The criticisms that we levied, as far as a a award show such as the Gotham's recognizing a film festival such as Venice. I wanted to be cynical towards it, but I think it's actually like a genius idea because, Hey, we're a small enough award show. We obviously don't have that big of an audience. Only less than 700 people are watching us live on YouTube as it is. Let's recognize a bigger film festival and maybe try to cop some of their audience into watching us and doing so. I, I like the idea of it. Michael, I prefer sweatpants, just generally in life. I prefer yes. comfortable pants and clothes. I've never aspired to want to want to be on a red carpet. That's just not my it's not why I want to cover the Oscars in, in right. my life. But watching that clip montage of the Venice Film Festival, especially yes. with all the white guys having fun. So many white guys. A lot mostly of mostly White yeah. guys having yeah. fun in this montage. I'm like, this is white people paradise. I mean, yeah. this is white guy. I'm, I'm being a little tongue in cheek there, but seriously, great montage. 
I, I never wanted to be on a red carpet more than just watching everybody having so much fun at the Venice Film Festival. Great, great job by then. Again, selling the Venice Film Festival. Great job. Can you imagine you and I in a small gondola trying to get to a... Can we get... Can we get... Just a weighed down boat by the guy trying to oar it forward. He's in the middle of the air and his oar barely reaches the water. I'm just more concerned. Can we get clothes that I'm not going to sweat through immediately, but that are comfortable... Like sweatpants. I promise. My 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 solemn vow is that if we ever do get a red carpet, I will be in sweatpants. I don't give a shit. I'm not changing. Good. Let's not change. Let let's them change for us. Okay. <laughs> Rami Youssef and Mo Amir presented outstanding performance in a new series to Ben Wishaw in This Is Going to Hurt. It's a new AMC Plus series from Adam McKay. Neither one of us knew about it, Michael. Well, I into watching it now i i added it to my q on amc plus i've been needing some tv shows and uh this was again a a fun clip to show of it you're like holy shit what's gonna happen next and that was most of the clips so good job by them uh we moved to jesse tyler ferguson presenting the cast of fire island with the ensemble tribute michael and god this number one this is a funny movie and it was a funny presentation and it was a a really nice speech by joe kim booster yeah i think it was joe kim booster who gave the entire speech right the writer Mm -hmm. and actor of the film itself who said quote so many of the movies about our community that win awards have been about our trauma and i am so deeply grateful to be accepting this award for a movie about our our joy what a great quote that is great quote and a great clip they showed the marissa tomei scene the the the, uh, what is that stupid parlor game what are they playing? Oh, uh, the heads up uh, thing, I think, that Ellen made. Is that uh, what it was? Yeah, I don't remember the name of it before it was it's heads like, up. But it's it's where like you put the what, name of the though? thing on your forehead. Okay. You, and, and people try to get you to guess what's on your own forehead. And we have Marissa Tomei's Oscar winning turn in My Cousin Vinny as the centerpiece of that scene. So it's mm-hmm. perfect for you and I, basically. Great scene. Yes. Very, very, very <laughs> funny scene. We need to talk about Cosby, one best nonfiction series. And for as great as the rehearsal, I don't think I've given my thoughts about the rehearsal on this show yet. The rehearsal is the most terrifying show I've ever seen. I don't think I could handle it. I've watched a little, very little. And it I is cringed so hard. Not not cringe. It is like deeply unsettling if you think about it too uh, too much. It is like horrifying that a complete stranger can like get that far into your life. And I'm guessing we need to talk about Cosby is equally horrifying. Probably for more real reasons. Yes, it's. Uh, as great as the rehearsal was, it's probably proper that we need to talk about Cosby one best nonfiction series here. Okay, I'll take your word yeah. for it. I'm, I'm very scared. Uh, James Gray and Todd Field don't like each other. Uh, that's no. apparent by the way they interacted, which was good to, to learn. They uh, they came out to present the industry award to Peter Kujowski and Jason Cassidy of Focus Features. The fuck did he say about Downton Abbey? Did Todd Field ensure that he won't win any awards beyond tonight because I'll make it my business to stop him? No, I don't know what he said. The the Uh, moment, Mike, I saw that hat that Todd Field was wearing, I I was like, oh, I knew he was in trouble. I knew we were in trouble having to listen to him. This is another moment where Todd Field just, he took the entire intro and the monologue into the introduction of this award. James Gray even said, oh, you're going to read the whole thing? Like, they just say, James Gray was standing there awkwardly. Todd Field was going on and on and on. Oh, God. And we're forced to look at that hat, that stupid hat. My uncle... And I think every 90s harmonica player owns that same hat. <laughs> is, this, is this your rich uncle? Because if it's your rich uncle, I retract my statement. <laughs> no, sorry, not my rich uncle. All right. I'm keeping the statement there. All right. I'm, I'm leaving the statement. There was a stupid hat that everyone that wears it. <laughs> uh, sorry, Uncle Al. That's a stupid hat. I agree. Uh, look, some orchestra needed to play him off. We yeah. get it. Uh, I, I hope that he's kind of workshopping his speeches and he'll take notes after this one uh probably not from us but from somebody i hope and just yeah get to the point and i mean the guy is a professional in the industry kind of is is his own i mean intensive critic because how many how many things has he gotten made over the years so i'm sure he's got to come away saying well there's these other speeches like gina prince bythewood gave her speech and i gave my freaking speeches yeah, and compare the two. Yeah. He's got to understand it. And he was hamstrung a little. I mean, this was another case of it was just, you know, this wasn't necessarily uh, 
Todd Fields' part of the speech. This was more uh, when the Focus Features guys were given their acceptance of it. It was just another case of just name after name. It was spoken word credits. And it's part of the frustration of the night with the Gothams where you have these moments of brilliance, but you they're so sprinkled out in, in between, dispersed among these moments of just these long, drawn-out, look, I understand you have to give thanks to everybody, but at the same time, this is why you, Mike, have been like, proclaiming and pounding the table over the years for some kind of scroll at the bottom of the screen to do away with that. Yeah. Yeah. Let the entertainers entertain us with an award show that's supposed to be entertaining. And let's, I mean, I get it. You don't, you know, you have to thank other people to not seem like you're monstrous, egomaniacal douchebags. Right. But pick three, maybe instead of pick three, 70. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, the listing of names is horrible. And yeah, Jason Cassidy, the focus feature. He could have just broke and said something absurd. <laughs> or he could have been like, let's all give Will Smith another shot. You know, Chris just Rock like, may have been asking for it. <laughs> I, he could have said anything. And I don't think the people in that room would have registered it at all. <laughs> they were not like, listening. Pl- Nobody, it was so loud in the background. Especially, this is when I noticed it too. I'm like, does <laughs> does the Gothams just have the worst HVAC system ever installed in a building? Or is are, are the entire audience just actively not listening to anything anyone was saying? And it's the latter. Nobody was listening to anyone on stage. It was more than a murmur. It was like a dull <laughs> roar. The lunch lady, if that roar was in my fifth grade lunchroom, the lunch lady would have slammed the table and told everybody to be quiet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All you did in your school upbringing was watch critically acclaimed movies and have silent lunches. That's it. And we would ponder the films that we just took in the first half of the day. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing, Michael. Okay, good. Uh, we had... Blonde Aubrey Plaza, which took Film Twitter by storm for a couple minutes, and Adam Scott were out next. They uh, they presented Breakthrough Series Under 40 Minutes, which only sounds like a fake category. It's actually a real category. It went to Mo, and here's another hill I'll die on. The pre-scripted banter yeah. during awards presentations. Aubrey Plaza and Adam Scott couldn't get a laugh from this crowd with their pre-scripted presentation. Stop scripting presentation jokes. Just stop. Let, the, let these brutal. guys go out there and ad-lib and, and improv and do what they do best if you hire comedians. Don't try to force these jokes into a room of people who don't give a shit. They're not paying attention. Or just up the alcohol intake for everybody yeah, immediately. Yeah, or that. It's with the Golden Globes, something they got right over the years. One something of the few they've things. gotten right. Yeah. And maybe then you can you have, you have wild cards factored <laughs> in. Uh, anyway, breakthrough series over 40 minutes. Went to Pachinko Michael. And... Yeah, we're feeling we're feeling like the night is coming into like the stall yeah. mode at this point, and you're wondering if you should back away, even though it was a touching speech and a, and a, and a succinct one that the Pachinko mm-hmm. producers gave, and it was it was sad that the you know the director couldn't give the speech because she was so overwhelmed with emotion, but it's also kind of cool that that happened because uh, it was very genuine, and you give them credit. Catherine Bigelow almost turned off the HVAC machine. You could tell she was kind of rattled uh, with the noise that how loud and how much she was being ignored on the uh, on the stage there. But she was out to present Gina Pri- mm-hmm. Prince-Blythewood with the director tribute. I would not have begrudged Bigelow <laughs> just going full Sam Kinison on the whole room. <laughs> I would have been totally happy with that. But, uh, hey, a great montage again. Starting yes. out with, like, a trailer for The Woman King. Good good for that for that movie. Keep it in everybody's face. That's what we need uh, if it's going to do well. And then you have, like, the clips of her career and a lot of love and basketball in there, a film that we both loved upon rewatch, Michael. A lot of uh, a lot of Gugu and Batharad mini driver arguing in a movie that I have not seen. Mm. I think it's Beyond the Lights. Anyway, I I haven't seen that film, but somehow mini driver slaps Gugu in the face, and then Gugu's like, "You fired." <laughs> and I I I gotta see that movie now. Was that Where Donald is that Trump movie? Making a making a cameo in that scene. She exa- <laughs> same delivery. That's what she said. You fired. And it was like, hey, there's something to that, too. Maybe, you know, maybe it shouldn't mean he runs the country or Gugu gets to run the country, but it's pretty funny. I will vote. I would much rather Gugu and Bathara run the country. Yes. <laughs> anyway, the speech was awesome. I mean, Best she moment said, of the night. Quote, I want to see ourselves as beautiful, heroic, badass, badasses worthy of love uh, and talking about her race and gender and occupation. And then, she, I mean, she just... I thought she was so succinct 
and and her delivery was just so like here's one volley here's the next volley yep. here's uh, I love Gina Prince Bythewood in that moment I thought she again you're looking for people who acquit themselves well who belong there on stage you're going to give you your awards show moments that an awards show body might vote for yeah. give you the edge yep. for she totally did it. I mean, she did nothing but enhance her profile and enhance her chances, I think, of being taken even more serious. I don't. I came away from her speech wondering, how is she not a slam dunk nominee for, uh, for well, the woman? Some of our friends, friends of the show, have her in their five. So uh, that would be God, cool. That would be cool if she got there. I want you to see yourself in my characters the same way I see myself in yours was one of, another one of her quotes. Yes. And then she immediately follows that up with going on to tell all of us how she discovered in her 20s she was likely a product of a rape. Oh, my God. God. I mean, she was just, like you said, volley after volley. She's just saying these things, and it was monotone, but it was so seriously monotone and matter-of-fact that she's leveling all these huge quotes and moments and facts on you. You just can't look away. I mean, she was... The moment of the night is kind of underselling how impressed I was with her. I, I wanted her just to keep talking forever. I was just enraptured with everything Gina, uh, Gina Prince-Blythewood here was saying. Let her just talk. Let her give her a stage and a microphone. I I want to see her make the Oscar stage now. I don't care how I felt about the Woman King. I want to see her just because of this speech. A lot of these awards season races are close, right? And it yep. gets fairly arbitrary at a certain point. So if you come out and you dazzle people with what you can say on an awards show stage, you get that opportunity and you seize it, it could be a tie-breaking thing. And look, I th- also think that there's the very obvious task of selling your film and getting your film to be seen by more people, especially sure. more people in the awards body. So she's totally doing that yeah. in this you know, this is the person behind this contending film. I'm going to put that in. Yep. Hell yeah, I'm going to put that in uh, my, from my screener pile. So that's that's where Ann Thompson always keeps reminding us, right? She's like, this is fluid. The Academy hasn't watched these films yet, guys. I don't. I, I hate to tell you, but they haven't watched all the movies at the same clip that you've watched all the movies yeah. uh, out there in the punditry. So the the Academy itself, is, they've been working their asses off all year. They're going to start to watch these over the holidays. And yeah, let's put Woman King screeners in because Gina Prince-Bythe would just killed it up there on the stage. Moment of the night, no question. Uh, Darren Aronofsky was out next, presented the Bingham Ray Breakthrough Director Award to Charlotte Wells for her work in After Sun. Yeah, I'm excited by this win. Charlotte Wells directed the shit out of After Sun. Elegance Bratton from the ins- inspection, I thought that could have been a launch for him. Uh, still has opportunities to do so down the line. But yeah, these clips, these clips in, in this particular category, I was so intrigued by a couple of these movies I haven't seen uh, in terms of Soft and Quiet and Funny Pages. I have no idea what Soft and Quiet was prior to last night, but now I know I'm going to watch it. Hmm. I mean, it, it, it looked phenomenal. It looked like a great tension, tension-filled thriller. I think it's a horror movie, and I think white supremacists are involved. Is your poor uncle in it with his ridiculous hat? <laughs> yes. No. <laughs> no, I can't even go through with that joke. <laughs> it's a documentary. End of, and yes, my uncle's in it. End of podcast. No, no, of first. course. Yeah. My uncle, just, you think, so you think Todd Field's hat is an evil hat, is what you're saying. Uh, it didn't help the portrayal of Todd Fields last night. Look, yes. <laughs> Todd Fields' hat is the same hat that every 90s uh, VH1 harmonica player had on. You want to say so, it's John Popper from Blues Traveler's hat, just say it. It's it's not exactly his hat, <laughs> because he's got a, a bit, like me, he's got a wider head. I'm not going to sit here and have you slander the guy that made But Anyway. <laughs> It's very similar to that hat, and I think Hook is Todd one of the Field, great troll songs ever written, ever written. I I agree, I agree. I, I think my uncle agrees with both of us. My <laughs> uncle, who's a very uh, pro- progressive man, and I don't mean to <laughs> slander alongside the white his supremacist his anonymous, yeah. <laughs> anonymous name for a for a joke that just was evil to begin with. Um, Charlotte Wells, by the way, great, great, uh, well deserving win. Who came first between Charlotte Wells and Billie Eilish? Because if you go watch Vanity Fair's sixth-year interview, they've done an interview on the same date, October 18th, for the last six years with Billie Eilish. The interview they did this year with her, which just came out, I think, two days ago. Mm-hmm. Charlotte Wells and Billie Eilish look so similar. It's 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 disturbingly similar to me. And I know because I had just watched Billie Eilish's interview prior to turning on the Gothams, and also Dominic West and John Cena are twins. 
<laughs> Usually I demean you with uh, the fact that you have to wear your Coke bottle glasses uh-huh. around to see anything yeah. any, anywhere. But I I actually looked up what you were saying. Oh, and good. I, I agree. You yeah, right. I yay. Yay, me and I. All right. <laughs> uh Anyway, after Sun getting a moment, I think that matters after Sun showing up at a lot of these early precursors. Mm. So after Sun is building momentum, I wonder if it'll translate to box office. I wonder if it'll translate for further award shows. Anyway, Jonathan Major. Kang is here. Kang in the building. Uh, he presents the icon tribute to the family of Sidney Potier in honor of his life and legacy. Watch Sydney on Apple TV plus people. They could not have shown a better trailer for that film. And I just got to say between the, the, what he said beforehand and what he said afterwards, Jonathan majors, Ant-Man just might join forces. With Does him. he, he just know might... he's the coolest person to ever live? You think he is the most persuasive man. <laughs> like, all these montages keep getting better and better. And again, salute to, to whoever cut those together. And I, I think I want to rewatch Sydney as a doc. Mm. I, I'm sure you want to watch yeah. after after that. What a great it trailer! A great, for absolutely it. great trailer. But like Jonathan Majors, like I have I have not seen Devotion yet. That's going to be an end of the weekend uh, movie for me when I finally have some time again to get back to the movies. I hope he's great in it because I'm going to be banging the table for him. This is another guy who's just so poised up there delivered a cr- incredible intro and outro to this speech. And by the way, if you're talking to a room who doesn't give a shit about what you're saying, that's you do it like Jonathan, you just, all the poise, all the coolness in the world, you don't give a shit that they don't give a shit, and you just get through your stuff and speak with confidence and clarity like he did. I mean, I couldn't look away. Ant-Man's in trouble, and I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if the whole Ant family just joined forces with him, just followed him. That's a leader right there. We had a touching tribute from Sidney Poitier going right into a touching tribute to Adam Sandler from the Safdie brothers. I was laughing so hard when Adam Sandler goes, uh, why the fuck are we following Sidney Poitier? This is the dumbest thing. It was really funny. And and they struggled with it too. And the only the only saving grace was like, "Hey, did you know Sidney Poitier was actually a really funny guy and is just great comedy director, by the way?" They actually did the best version of a transition yes, that they, they possibly could. That's a great point. Into their what what again is a goofy ass speech, and they're going for shtick. And th- this is a bit that the Safdie brothers are doing, where you have one interrupting the other with this inane, ridiculous. Okay, look. Sati- satirical take on an award show speech was uh, Adam Sandler's The Industrial Revolution of Comedy. They tried and to then, do the Billy Madison bit. Yes. It's from, and the room gave, I was so angry that there, because the room. I was laughing listen, though. Were you the, laughing? Yes, I was laughing, but the room I was, was listening yeah. enough to the, to giving them an applause at the correct time. So I'm like, if you're, if you are listening to them, they deserved a bigger pop for trying, like, that was like a two and a half minute bit they did, and they pulled yes. it off. They stumbled a couple times, but they pulled to it be off fair, generally. To be fair, it was probably two minutes too long if it was two and a half minutes, but. Listen, <laughs> if you've seen Billy Madison as, as many times as I have, That's and it's right. as important to your life as it's to me, that was a That's big right. moment to see these two esteemed directors up there trying to recreate the climax of the movie in real time. Uh, I, I loved it. I hope Adam Sandler loved it. I hope that put him in his zone because he gets up there, Michael, and he goes, my my daughter wrote this speech because I really didn't have time to write a speech. I've been working so much. What an ass and he then is. He, obviously he wrote the speech. Uh, clearly, he wrote yes. the speech in the voices of his daughters where he constantly in their perspective makes fun of himself and his career. And this is one of the most ingenious, funniest Award so award show accepted speeches I have ever heard. At one moment, he's like, uh, my in his daughter's voice is saying that these are the two principles beyond our daddy's career. <laughs> Quote: People in prison need movies too, and TBS needs content. Unquote. It's great. It was a great speech. It was it was ingenious. And look, Adam Sandler is now two for two. In his last two speeches, in terms of memorable memorable speeches, yeah. this and at the Indie Spirits a couple of years ago for Uncut Gems, where which has been turned into a TikTok meme, by the way, uh, for the people, all the other nominees will now and forever be known as the guys who lost to fucking Adam Sandler. Like that's now a TikTok meme. Um, he's got to do if he wins an Oscar. It's, they, they, it's only helping his case, isn't it? 
Yeah, he's aren't these speeches speech only helping him being taken more seriously than that? Don't you want him to give more speeches at award show? He gets it. He gets it. I I think uh, I, I think he's mounting a campaign that should not have been. And there's an open at least fifth spot, if not a fourth. It's and crazy fifth spot if he gets act. in for that movie this year. <laughs> you didn't make it. I for love Uncut that movie, Gems, but you're going to make it for the basketball movie with Juancho Hernan Gomez. Love hustle. Let's let's get hustle more love. Crazy. That's fine. Fine with that. Anyway, Amelia Jones. How does she follow that? Well, that's how she transitions in. Like it, it was adorable that she gets up there. She's like, "I'm not funny at all, <laughs> and I can't follow this, but I have to." And it was just a great way to get her into the you know presenting outstanding supporting performance. And God, Michael, we had the moment we were hoping for. Going into the evening, we've had some great moments up till now, but we finally get a winner where we're like, holy shit, this might be what what happens the rest of the way when Ki Hui Kwan wins for everything, everywhere, all at once in a stacked outstanding supporting performance category with Jesse Buckley, uh, Raul Castillo, Hong Chow, Brian Tyree Henry, Nina Haas, Noemi Merlant, Mark Rylance, Gabrielle Reunion, and Ben Wishaw. A lot of those major contenders at any level, at any award show, Michael. Yeah, and he did his part to put the shine on his co-stars, too. Thanking Jamie Lee Curtis, thanking Michelle Yeoh. Um, you know, a touching quote, Mike, that you have written down here. This time last year, all I was hoping for was a job. Uh, just when I thought I couldn't get any better, it does. I thought they kind of did him a little dirty, logistically speaking, or schedule speaking, having this come on the heels of the... Portier Sandler speech back to back, you know, <laughs> highlights of the night like that. Like if this if they had this award and this speech was given after the James Gray Todd Field hate fest <laughs> that went on earlier <laughs> in the night, I think it would have had a bigger lasting impact. People would have been dazzled or put it at the front of the show. Yeah, My right. God, it would have been it would have had this night going in a direction right. that we would have we would have not been ready to turn it off. Absolutely. I think we were both at a certain point an hour in. We're like, oh, geez, yeah, maybe we just look at the winners. We don't have to do the recap. But no, we've, we've had a blast doing the recap because these speeches have been so good. And this was perhaps the best, you know, winner acceptance speeches uh, that we got. And he, he got very emotional several times. He had many themes to the speech. Everything was poised and the delivery was really strong. I love what he did here. And then I loved what his... Uh, his filmmakers did uh, in a few minutes from from here. But uh, you're right. I think there was a missed opportunity with this next award, though. Yeah, uh, and this is the Daniel Deadweiler Award. Denai Guerrera and Lupita Nyong'o come out. First of all, they both look gorgeous, but they were there Good to guy. present outstanding lead performance. Daniel Deadweiler wins in a category which had Kate Blanchett, which had Colin Farrell, which had Brendan Fraser, uh, Taylor Russell from Bones and All was there. Michelle Yeoh was there from Everything Ever. And Daniel yep. Deadweiler wins over all these names in this combined category, and she's not there to accept in person. We are both texting each other, this could be big, Huge this could upset. be momentous. And then the director, Chunyonye Chuku, comes up and does a nice job reading the speech. speech. A little loud. It was a good speech. A little yep. loud. Yep, a little loud. Projected too far, yep. but I don't blame her considering all the background. It had the, it had the point, tone of, it like brought me back to my first grade classroom. It was like, oh, God, what did I do? (laughs) I don't know what I did wrong, but I know this woman is is not happy with me. I am sure that I use that tone with the teenagers I work with a lot (laughs) by accident. So it felt like just I agreed with her. (laughs) supported her but it was it wasn't the tone you were the good kid in school i was the ass that's the difference (laughs) it was a righteous tone Mm -hmm. i I ain't done nothing wrong i'm not doing anything yeah i i'm not i'm not an evil kid in the back right like 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 somebody else here maybe but no i i I like the speech i like what it was a good speech it was was. i agree speech uh and daniel deadweiler wrote it she was very She had a lot of beautiful things to say about all her co-stars and about uh, the Till family. I really love that. I just wish she was there. I wish she had that moment because she was awesome in all the the red carpet stuff for Till. And it's just a bummer. It's a bummer because she could have had that launch sequence, right? Initiate right here. And I don't know. Maybe it still does. And again, now we're going to... What's going to be... Look... What's going to be remembered about her from this show is that she won in the category with all yes. those names present. Yes, and that's a big win. That's and a that, big and win. And it's a it huge could... dent to Kate Blanchett. I mean, again, everything and nothing. It's the Gotham's taking forth the world. But Kate Blanchett was like the runaway favorite in this category. You would have thought. I, I know a lot of people were saying Yo versus Blanchett, mm-hmm. but and, and we kind of said the same thing based on what Vegas 
was giving us at the time, right? However, I think Deadweiler winning this now puts her forward as more of a a safe bet for a nomination and certainly puts till the till screener on top of screener piles. Again, you're like looking at, Oh, what, when the Gotham's yeah, hell yeah. Let's uh, all right. We're going to, but because of the way the Oscars are, Mike, I mean, if Brendan Frazier wins this category, you can still walk away saying, well, Kate Blanchett's still the lead in actress. You can't, I mean, right now. True. It's very true. You know, I I wonder what that means about actor at all. I don't, I don't know necessarily know if it means anything. You're right. It means something about Kate Blanchett and and the unbeatable status that she may or may not have. And I do think this may say something about her peers because actors voted for this category, mm-hmm. right? And we're looking at the future of the season. And this is something I surmised a couple of weeks ago where I was like, hey, I, I wonder what actors think of this performance because Daniel Deadweiler could get in with SAG could get in with actors when they vote and that that that's all she that's all you need sometimes because it is one of those go for broke performances if they love it then that that matters obviously we know the acting branch at the academy is is the biggest one so you never know Blanchett's odds in lead actress were shortening leading up to the Gotham's they didn't move as a result of the Gotham's but when we did our episode with David Long just last week or the week before she was what minus 175 I want to say or minus 160 something something like like that that. she's now uh, depending on a book you look at you can find her at plus 150 you can find her at even odds one to one you can find her at two to one plus 200 in some books she's still the leader in terms of odds for lead actress, but she is not the uh, the overwhelming. You're not paying a vig right now, at least in a couple books, uh, European books, to, to bet on her as it is. So, again, everything and nothing. I'm just going to keep repeating that about the Gothams because it's very true. <laughs> well, it's fluid, man. Yeah. It's fluid. Yeah, we don't have to be so declarative at this stage of the game. I know that the pundits who tend to do that it kind of make me aggravated because, like, it's nobody knows, mm-hmm. man. Nobody knows nothing. Anyway, we know a few things, but like nobody knows. <laughs> the certainty bothers me. Anyway, Jennifer Lawrence. We know Jennifer Lawrence was there last night. Yeah. Jennifer Lawrence was awesome presenting best feature to everything, everywhere, all at once. This is a big win because it comes over Tart, comes over After Sun, The Cathedral, and Dos Estaciones. It's a big loss for Tart. You're, and in it's a, a mis- you're in a spot right now in this show in the Gothams where yeah. you have this half hour stretch where Tar is taking a beating. It's 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 a bad look, and it it kind of builds on again the la- the lack of box office once Tar went wide. So Tar, you're you're not wrong when you say it has an uphill battle to kind of be the contender we all thought it was going to be coming out of the festival season. That being said, this reestablishes everything everywhere all yep. at once as a bona fide you know top of the screener pile contender. I think down the line because you want. You want a race in Best Picture, and typically, Michael, we've gotten more races than runaways. Yes, I think Nomadland was a surefire runaway. Weird year, too. Weird year. However, most of the time we've dealt with races, and it's cool because now we're coming out of the Gothams knowing that this is more of a race than a runaway for the Fablemans. Like, everywhere all at once, if it loses here... And After Sun wins or Tar wins. I, I don't look at After Sun and Tar as having a shot at beating the Fableman. That's a good, yeah. That's a good. I was going to ask you does does the win help more or does the loss hurt more, do you think, with these, in terms of these movies? I think if After Sun won, I'd be impressed with After Sun, but I'd be like, oh, wow, this is a big shock to Tar and everything. The fact that everything everywhere, I would, I would think going into last night, Everything Everywhere All at Once was the favorite to win this category. Do you feel the same or no? I did. Okay. I, I did feel the same. I kind of did my own predictions uh, to an extent, and I did have this one. Yeah. I didn't I, I didn't put this out there for everybody but because I, I was like, what if I go like one for seven? I'm an ass, <laughs> and I got afraid, and I chickened out. What was? What do you think was second between I – I imagine Tar and After Sun were two and three in some order for you now. I mean, in terms of my rankings, in terms of what you think would have happened. Everything everywhere, I, I had number one, Tar number two, yeah. After Sun number three. However, I figured Tar had a good shot because it was its home turf, yep. essentially. After Sun had a puncher's chance, and everything everywhere all at once was probably the favorite. And 
this means it does mean that everything everywhere all at once has some momentum going into all these critics organizations that I thought yep. would have gone for more, more movies like Tar but now I think everything everywhere all at once can continue its momentum if it wins enough I think you got to look at it as a surefire nominee now at this point of the year so now if it's in it it could win it I've said that yeah. before about certain films that are just huge crowd pleasers and it's proven to be true everything everywhere all at once we're going to get into in a minute in terms of the box office discussion has best picture box office right so why not and then these two guys get up there michael the daniels they deliver a phenomenal speech mm -hmm. and, and, a, and a speech very representative of who they are shiner because like this goofy thing and he's an eclectic guy and and he delivers this really touching thing about being such a type of guy and then you have Dan Kwan coming out and just like, I mean, vote for this guy for president. I love this guy. I absolutely love this guy. And that's after the, the Dan uh, Kwan. The, uh, who was the other one? The, they have a farting corpse movie. And it was great that the producer was like, hey, you know, A24, you believed in us when we had a farting corpse movie. Very cool. But Dan Kwan gets out there and just like. I mean, cutting to the core of me, Baxter. I, but I don't know where you were going. Sorry. Who was the actor that you said uh, earlier in the night was running for president? I, I would have voted for president over Trump. Oh, Gugu Mbatha-Ra. Yeah, have the Dan Kwan Gugu Mbatha-Ra fucking uh, ticket there. <laughs> have them lead the country. Uh, and yeah, have Minnie Driver uh, not get her way. I agree <laughs> with that. These are some big wins, I think, for the start of the season to put movies and, and put them on the top of the screener piles and put them on the top of everybody's mind and so it, put it voting something. and put voting in for future award shows on different narratives because tar is now in a place where people can play the original screenplay over director game with it and if you think about it like that if you're like well this one already let's put tar in the screenplay let's give todd field his screenplay 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 and then we get to the gothams and tar's the screenplay favorite the screenplay favorite is usually the oh sorry we didn't nominate you for director category right. favorite lately which means it's not going to have a director nominee which means eh, maybe it doesn't need to have a best picture now you know like you could have those dominoes fall into play i'm not saying it will happen i'm just saying is he, everything is he wearing and nothing, the hat right there if we nominate him is he gonna wear the hat <laughs> where's the hat he's out he's not getting in the building <laughs> and is, how many pages does that look like a wad <laughs> in his pocket how many pages is that speech going to be no we can't do it <laughs> keep todd field from the podium is what we're saying we'd rather work in a, a james gray project than a todd field project is what we learned last night unfortunately yeah. even though I, I still I give Todd Field the edge on the movies, even though I like both of their movies this year. For the for the for the record, James Gray he made a good movie in my opinion with Armageddon Time, so that was cool. Anyway, Michael, we'll get into a post Thanksgiving box office aftermath, ending on a high note. We have the worst <laughs> in the history of the box office per IndieWire's box office. Tom Bergerman. Yeah. First time ever the Thanksgiving box office grossed under $100 million total. There were so many flops. Strange World bombs hard. The Fablemans is being underreported as a flop because it only opened in less than 700 theaters, but its five-day Thanksgiving weekend per theater average was $48.59, $4,859. Now, technically, this is the Fablemans' third weekend in theaters, but it's also the first weekend in which they played more than four screens. They played 638, so let's put that... 4,800 per theater average in perspective. There are comparisons which make the Fableman's number feel pessimistic. The Chosen, that TV show we talked about last Oscar race checkpoint, which played just over 2,000 theaters on its release last weekend, that did $4,300 per screen per theater average, uh, which means it did only about 500 per screen less than what the Fableman's were able to do in their first weekend going relatively wide. But there's also comparisons which could mark the Per theater average, the Fablemans had as a success. Banshees of Inishirin, for example, in its third weekend, played 895 screens. It did less than half of what the Fablemans' third weekend did. Banshees did about 2,300 per screen in its third weekend. The Fablemans, again, doing just a little over $4,800. But Banshees is probably going to be a money loser. She said, Tar, Till, mm -hmm. each play, these are all probably going to be money losers. There's no reason to expect the Fablemans won't also be a money loser. And look, $4,859 per theater isn't bad. It's actually pretty decent, but even for a relatively modest 
big studio budget of $40 million, which is what the Fablemans has here from Universal, we're probably looking at a Best Picture frontrunner that'll need the Oscars boost at minimum to just break even in theaters. So, like we kind of speculated about in the latter half of our Fablemans review episode last episode, Mm. I don't see a path for profitability, at least in the theater play for the Fablemans. So here's my big question about the Fablemans in terms of that profitability, Michael. It's got to hang tough. How much is it expanding? I should have looked this up. I don't know. I tried looking that up, Mike, and it said it was going wide on November 23rd, which was when we saw this. I mean, and that would indicate that the 700 about theaters, maybe all this is playing. And I don't know that there's going to be a national release of 3000 screens for this movie. That's not good because what essentially needs to happen for the Fablemans to be a profitable film in theaters is it's got to make it through all the holidays. It's got to make it, you know, a couple of weeks to the critics choice and golden globe nominations, which could give it some more momentum. So that's like two weeks from now. And then if it gets enough screens during the Christmas and new year's break, the holiday break there, it could, potentially just makes decent money every day. And we've seen those grosses stack up mm-hmm. to where it's it's been out for long enough to do well for long enough to be profitable at the end of the day. And therefore to be in the zeitgeist that enough people saw it throughout its run to where you can eventually say, all right, it, it can get a third and a fourth life with, with award show wins down the line. But, the way it's trending now, kind of like what Banshees of Inisherin is doing, Michael, Banshees of Inisherin is going to be on PVOD in a week, yep. and then Banshees of Inisherin is going to be on it's going to be on HBO Max in 2 weeks. So like what are we talking about? Like if, and if that happens Banshees, to the Fablemans. I, I mean, I don't mean to cut you off, but at least Banshees has an international play. You can like is there an yeah. international market that's rushing to the theater to see the Steven Spielberg biopic? He always has a certain audience. Sure, I'm sure, internationally, sure. I, I'm sure it'll make. Something but he also overseas. always does like action adventure movies with big set pieces. Yeah, I mean, yes, to an extent. I mean, he's he's had the Bridge of Spies and whatnot as well. That's the true. Post, yeah, uh, the Post. Yeah. Look at Steven Spielberg is his film is going to keep making some money. I just wonder with the desperation of Peacock, right? How fast are they going to look to put this on Peacock? That's my biggest question. They did not hesitate when it came to Halloween Ends, one of their bigger box mm-hmm. office players. If they have the Fablemans and they have exclusive streaming rights on Peacock, does that help them enough with that audience, which is probably more likely to watch it there than they are if it has a couple bad weeks in theaters to watch it at 400 screens and hope to rebound through the holidays? I don't know what if they're going to be patient i guess is what i'm saying are they going to be patient with the fablemans in theaters throughout december are theater owners going to be patient and is universal going to be patient that's what i question at this moment because if they're not then i wonder what that means for its best picture chances you if it's a 40 million dollar budget that means roughly at least by old math you got to do 100 million total to break even right two and a half times a hundred million dollar domestic box office. You usually have to open around thirty million dollars. This one, yeah. Opened I mean, it, again, that could be. I mean, it's rough math. It's it's totally twenty five hundred right. screens. Right. Math. It's totally rough math. Right. But I mean, this is going to climb to. I mean, even if it's a hundred million, this is break even point. What's what's that mean? Domestic seventy, international thirty. Because this has got to be a bigger domestic play than an international play. I would think. I mean, even Probably. if it's 50-50, how does this get to fifty million know. domestically, with a three million dollar opening? Yeah, uh, looking just raw math, looking at some of the uh, best picture winners of the past, that makes some sense because I did write down all of their grosses. Like Birdman did something like that, seventy thirty, and and it made a hundred. Most best picture winners perform with multiples of ten plus in terms of their budgets. Never mind, you know, the the bigger budgets could get like five plus. Or the, the, you know, the more vegetables movies could get like 5X, not 5 plus, 5X in terms of a multiplier. Like Spotlight is a 4.5X. But even like Moonlight, which was an indie play, right? $64 million on a $5 million budget. And I shouldn't have mentioned that in the last episode. Like it, did, it wasn't a huge money earner. But I'm talking, when you have a normal Best Picture winner, like The King's Speech, 
$15 million budget, Mike, $430 million rake worldwide. That's 28.7 times the budget. Mm. That's a huge Big multiplier. Multiple. Big multiple. And that is much more akin to Best Picture box office than I would say the spotlights of the world. So it's pretty rare that you have a, a, a small player on the Best Picture winning scene. Nomadland was a weird year, but even Nomadland is a $38 million worldwide box office on a $5 million budget, even in that year where no nothing was in theaters, right? right? Coda did not play in theaters other than a $2 million limited box office run. It was only out there for a couple of weeks. It basically streamed. Mm. Apple was happy to stream it, so I'm sure it did very well for Apple. Parasite, $253 million worldwide on a $13.5 million budget, and the list goes on and on and on. There are some big numbers from movies that you wouldn't think did hundreds of million dollars of box office. Green Book, Argo, 12 Years a Slave. Would you have ever thought 12 Years a Slave did $180 million? No. No. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, I mean, now, a lot of those, I would think, you know, we didn't break down the week by week. I would think a lot of those have to be helped by post-Oscars pushes, too, though. And they would have legs. Right. Yeah, they would have long legs. So that's what the Fableman's needs right now. And if it doesn't get it, I wonder if it's a sign of the times and that you could have, a, like, a Coda player and maybe the Fableman's becomes a, a huge hit on streaming. I saw a couple of out there playing, like... Uh, the youth isn't going to support the Fablemans, and that's an indictment of the youth. And they, they should be honored to, to, you know, they're abandoning Steven Spielberg, who's the only reason they're in those theaters to watch those comic book movies in the first place. It's as if, you know, Gen Z and a bunch of teenagers and 20-year-olds should be just drooling at the f- aspect that they should go see their grandfather masturbate for three hours on screen. <laughs> <laughs> like they should be honored to have that opportunity. Let's... <laughs> yeah, that's a running gag that we uh, we like to make yeah. about uh, older filmmakers that uh, they masturbate. I don't. In front I don't of us. know. What I mean, are we saying? It's, we it's, are saying? it's a self-indulgent property, and I don't know who the. Yeah. I don't know outside of the film community who the audience necessarily is that this is going to propel it to a fifty million dollars domestic box office. Belfast made some money. I was looking at these. I, I should have wrote it down. These other films that were vanity projects quote unquote uh, if you're characterizing them in such a way they've done okay in, in in some instances but in many an instance they haven't been big box office players either and they've still been big awards players Roma was a big awards player right didn't win best picture but it was a major awards player it did fine for itself I just I you know at the end of the day and I should have said this in the first half of our Fableman's episode where I ended in the spoiler section was like is this movie a nominations juggernaut with a couple of choice wins could be director as one of them or is it truly the best picture front runner because the there's enough red flags right now and that everything everywhere all at once win is just more evidence to the to the fact that you know I think if other alternatives rise to the forefront the Fableman's will be an easy you know, an easy rejection. And if another enough people have Top Gun in their top threes, again, yeah. keep it keep that in your in your brain, people. I'm less I'm less adverse to that suggestion than I was when we did that uh the gambling episode. But uh, oh, the good. the odds also reflect that the Fablemans right now you could find about even odds, plus one fifty, plus one twenty five ish. Everything everywhere is in second place right now, plus five hundred, five to one, seven to one around there. Uh, I've seen it as low as two seventy five, plus two seventy five. So all right, so Let's just end with a positive that Black Panther Wakanda Forever did great business, 45.9 million. That's that's really good. Mm-hmm. 675.5 worldwide. Glass Onion did great business. And I'm actually going to table my review of that to have more time with it in our next Oscar Ace Checkpoint episode for the end of the week, where we'll review Goodnight Oppie and a couple other things, Guardians Christmas Special, a couple other movies. But uh, I was a big fan of Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery that did Kind of what Andrew Morgan said. Just shout out to him. Did uh, fourteen something million on six hundred screens. Netflix has got to be happy. Yeah. So I mean, obviously, if you put the multiplier out in terms of uh, three thirty five hundred screens, which I could have done, mm-hmm. that's more money. I can't do the math, but that's more <laughs> money, Michael. I, I imagine that's how Netflix <laughs> handles it in the boardroom too. <laughs> like, how do we get more money? <laughs> We have that money. would have been more money. We have a Netflix. lot of money. I would like us to have more money. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> um, guys, as always, what matters most to us are your thoughts, comments, questions, and concerns about anything we covered in this episode. Did you watch the Gotham Awards? What were your highlights? What were your lowlights? Were you blown away uh, by by uh, Gina Prince Blythewood or any other moment? Let us know that and more, as well as any other comments, questions, or concerns you have about MMO. As always, you can leave us all those on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available wherever you do hear podcasts. If you're listening to us on either the Apple Podcasts or Spotify app, if you appreciate what we do, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review, it takes about 10 seconds out of your day. It makes our entire day. Thank you to everyone who has done so thus far. Michael, tell the good people what's coming next, and let's have some words of wisdom to end on, if we even know what's coming next. Well, I think it, it's one and the same. It is It is wise to enjoy the early portion of the season, and it is wise to go on line and watch these Gotham speeches and I, I look at I was so downtrodden at the beginning of the Gotham yeah. Awards it was like oh here we go again this is not this is not fun and then I'm like I, I just wish they would just make it fun the Gothams have been fun in the past but they've had some crappy award shows in the past as well it's like this is going terribly and you're very negative and yeah I was bummed and then they totally redeemed themselves <laughs> love the show and look at me, maybe we'll be on a roller coaster all year. I mean, you know, you know we always are. We're gonna be up and down on things, but at least we have some hope now. We have some hope that the New York Film Critics Circle will do something fun. The beefas, the fantastic beefas happening over the weekend. We got a lot of stuff with these early precursors to talk about, so we're probably gonna have a couple Oscar Race checkpoints in a row. And I gotta say, I am I was worried about the early season and the kickoff of it all especially at the beginning of those Gothams. But now I ha- I am full of hope and uh, and, and, and that, that it's going to be fun to talk about. I can't wait you know? to, to crush those dreams of yours. <laughs> <laughs> to poop all over your parade, sir. Guys, when reality sucks, you can poop on a parade with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar, trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you all very soon. See ya. See ya.